Hello everyone, I'm Trent Luce. Welcome to another edition of Rural Routes, the program where we gather every day at this time. Well, we do it Monday through Friday anyway. And what we do when we gather is continue to address the issues between food producers and food consumers. And there is absolutely no place I am aware of anywhere in the United States that creates a better opportunity in addressing issues between food producers and consumers than the 107th Pennsylvania Farm Show, which is practically the Pennsylvania State Fair. Well, all of the animals, all of the exhibits, the educational opportunities are here, the food, they have 500,000 people, non-farm people come through the Pennsylvania Farm Show, so I'm proud to be back. But I don't have at my side, Amanda Redke. Did you not get the memo? You didn't make it to Harrisburg? What's the deal? I didn't get my invite, but you're bringing back memories. I was there as a 18-year-old national meat pastor. Yeah. I'm just, just trying to remember. I think I missed that year. I, did, I, I didn't miss many years in between 2002 and 2010, but I don't think I was here that year. I mean, you probably wouldn't count my memory as, as a valid uh, historian, but I don't remember you being there. <laughs> you don't remember being on the show last Thursday, so that really means nothing to me. <laughs> Which is a real added benefit for everyone tuning in because who knows what Amanda's going to say. Okay, what is your memory of the Pennsylvania Farm Show, which would have been what, 2004 or something? 2006, 2007-ish. Okay. Seven, 2007. Uh, so I remember promoting veal. We got to we got to talk to folks about veal was the, the thing we did. We sat in a booth and we answered lots of questions and a lot of people yelled at us. So it was... Uh, definitely throw them in the deep end and, and defend a part of the beef industry that I frankly wasn't that familiar with at the time, but I, I definitely got an education. I got to talk to some veal producers and, and learn what it was really like and what their biggest misconceptions were and got to sample a lot of veal, which I had never eaten before. And it, it was a very educational experience in dealing with the general public because truly that farm show is right in a hub where there's so many urban people close by and, and they want to learn about where their food comes from. I could throw a rock and hit the state capitol. I mean, that's how urban we are and where we're at. And it's 24 acres under one roof and it's considered the largest indoor farm show. Take that as you wish, Louisville, Kentucky. But the reason that there was a close tie between uh, Pennsylvania and the veal industry, number one, the dairy industry has been huge. Dairymen are uh, a major part of Pennsylvania agriculture. Plus, at that time, the veal promotion board was with the Pennsylvania Beef Council, and Paul Slayton was leading that. And I, like you, learned so much about veal. And from that day forward, after I learned about veal, anytime veal's on a menu in a restaurant, I order just as a political statement. Number one, because I love veal. Number two, they've been beat up. And it was one of the entries of the animal rights community into taking on all of animal agriculture. And too many people just sat back and said, oh, it's veal. There's not many of them. I'm not going to worry about it. You should worry about it. Absolutely. And it's interesting because, okay, that was 15, 20 years ago. The real attacks were coming from the animal welfare space or animal rights space, I should say, which is still happening. But I right. see such a shift now that our true vulnerability 
um, is that climate change discussion. And they're just beating that drum over and over and over again um, that cows are bad for the planet. And so we got to learn from that mistake we made 15 years ago where we sat back and just said, oh, they're picking on somebody else. It isn't me. And we've got to we've got to get out there on the offense and talk about what farmers and ranchers do really well to take care of our natural resources and our animals and produce nutritious beef for people to enjoy. It's really fun to be right in the mix of everything as they're getting set up for the Pennsylvania Farm Show because I'm bringing all the skid steers and everything live and loving coat. But over there behind that stand that says the hitching rail food stand. I walked by in the door early this morning, about 6 a.m. Pennsylvania time, and the very first booth was dealing with how agriculture is combating climate change. Really? So, I mean, it's, it's everywhere. It, the whole climate change rhetoric, we got to figure out how to handle this because at the end of the day, we're losing the battle. We are. But it's, it's enough of us kowtowing to what these people who have no skin in the game have to say. Um, instead, it's us saying, you know what? That's an outright lie. I'm not going to use the same jargon as you. I'm not going to follow that same narrative and try to debunk it along the way. I'm simply here to say the beef animal uh, in working in conjunction with every sector of the agricultural industry works in such a way that we can utilize fewer natural resources while producing more food for a hungry planet. Agriculture is already doing its part. So let's celebrate what we do well and let's do it loudly and frequently until we're blue in the face. The most impactful conversation I ever had at the Pennsylvania Farm Show, they, they built this uh, barn, which is to represent modern day it simulates modern day it doesn't simulate because it actually has dairy cattle in it it had chickens there are no chickens no poultry at pennsylvania farm show this year because of the fears of avian influenza but it had sow gestation crates it had uh, pen finishing from the swine industry and there's a cattle feed yard piece right here and it had a, a bin a, a row of bins of all the feed ingredients fed to the cattle and anybody who kind of knows Pennsylvania knows that just down the road a little ways, a little town called Hershey. You ever heard of Hershey, Pennsylvania? I've been to Hershey. Yeah. And so in every food manufacturing facility, there is food that can't go to human grade. Thanks to particularly ruminant animals, beef animals and dairy animals, you can take that food that can't go to human grade and feed it to an animal and prevent it from going into the landfill. That's one of the great untold stories about the benefit of animal agriculture, but I'll never forget standing in front of this, this pen and this couple walking by and they, they looked in there and they saw these Hershey candy bars. They looked at me and they said, you don't mean to tell me that we're feeding cattle candy bars, do you? I said, yes, absolutely. Nutritionists formulate these nutrients into a balanced diet so that we don't put them in the landfill and we feed the cattle properly. They could not get their mind around. They've had, we've been demonizing candy bars. So automatically it wasn't about nutrition. It was about candy bars are bad and you're feeding them to cattle. So I'm not going to eat beef. 
that yeah. was such a, a, an impressionable moment for me. And it really changed how I educate people or attempt to educate people, share the message on a regular basis. Now, Trent, are you there speaking or what are you there doing? Judging the Brett Gilt show today. Oh, wow. So, well, then I ask is because someone on Twitter said to me, you know, if people are, if ag influencers are just going to agricultural meetings and talking about the importance of sharing our story, are we actually making an impact? What would you say to that? Um, that may be the case in a lot of places. It is certainly not the case in the Pennsylvania Farm Show. Where can you find 500,000 people that have no connection to agriculture other than the food they eat, the clothes they wear, and the fuel they use? See, but I think, I mean, I agree. This is a direct to urban audience right there. And I, I'm really excited to speak in April in Pennsylvania for the Pennsylvania Cattlemen's and work with the Northeast Beef Promotion Initiative. Um, which, of course, they go into places like New York City and, and Boston and talk direct to our big urban audiences. But I think we discount the fact that we can make a difference sharing our egg story one person at a time. The, the, the Uber driver, the person in the hotel, someone in your community. It doesn't have to be reaching thousands upon thousands of people to start building relationships and regaining consumer trust in who we are in agriculture. Did you already listen to Loose Tales from today? No, I didn't. I met a guy in the Philadelphia airport last night that might be instrumental in everything that we're talking about. Uh, Nathan Yorgi, he's from Pennsylvania. He has no history in agriculture, but he's designing something that may be just the answer for what you just described. And I met him in a random chance in an airport, or maybe not random at all. Roll route. Amanda Radke, Trent Loose. I'm at the Pennsylvania Farm Show. Amanda's just there in Envy. We'll be back with more after this. Let's talk about Protect the Harvest right off the bat today and how we continue to enable people to take control of their own life. That's what it's about. Enabling property rights, enabling a free and fed America. We cannot accomplish any of these things if we do not have life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And they're hand in hand. You can't have life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness unless you have people who are well-fed. And that's exactly what Protect the Harvest works at doing on a daily basis, getting you the information to protect your own property rights so that we can produce essentials of life for mankind. Full details about the Free and Fed America movement at protecttheharvest.com. Welcome back, everyone. Trent Lewis alongside Amanda Radke. I'm at the Pennsylvania Farm Show uh, for the non-radio audience. I had no idea what button. I just knew I had a video there to play. And it would tie it in exactly to what I was talking about with feeding candy bars to cows. Um, so, and and I and even on across the pond this morning, this is a follow-up now to what you said before we went to a break, and I had to rudely interrupt. But I have had more positive interactions with cab drivers and people on planes and people in restaurants in this week traveling to Tennessee Cattlemen and the Pennsylvania Farm Show than I've had in five years because there's been a period where people just didn't want to talk and all, I had this morning Calvin bringing me to the airport or bringing me from my hotel to the farm show 
I mean, we had this phenomenal conversation talking about work ethic and farming and agriculture. You're spot on. You can make that impact one person at a time. We cannot overlook that. I think COVID was a gift in that way. People were isolated for so long that they truly see the blessing now in interacting with other people in, in human life and getting to meet people who are on totally different walks, but somehow are landing in the same spot and they care about the same things. And right now with Americans paying more than ever for food, I mean, I've heard reports of eggs running 50 cents to a dollar a piece. People are paying attention to food and agriculture and they don't want to listen to what's being said on the news and the fear that's just being driven. They wanna go direct to the source. So when they see a cowboy hat, they're thinking, hey, that guy might have a solution. And that's really the message I've been trying to get out there is people don't care you know, about the phrase. And I ruffled some feathers because I said this on social media this week. They don't care about trust the experts. They don't want to hear anymore. Um, they're there. Just leave agriculture to the farmers and ranchers. We know best. And you just eat what we produce without asking questions. Trust in, in all industries is at an all-time low. So we don't have to just bang the drum that we're the experts and we know best and you're our customers no matter what. We have to start building relationships and that's how we build trust. That's how we build community and that's how we bring consumers so that they're fighting on the same team as us because we all want to eat and we all want access to safe and affordable food in this country. And somewhere along the way, that whole message has been hijacked by people who can profit off of fear and, and, and guilt and confusion. And I've had enough of it. So I want to bring people along for the ride. I want to show them what we do on our ranch in South Dakota. And uh, I want to make them excited about choosing beef at the grocery store without the guilt. I also had many conversations this week with people who told me they started buying direct. Many, and I mean, I can count them on one hand, but that's a lot in a week. Who, who said they started buying direct from a local farmer because they loved the idea, but the product wasn't as good. I think that there, there is a risk of that, that people are now, and it's worse probably with beef than other things, because you can screw up a beef animal and not have that eating quality where you need to have it, because you may not know what how to feed it to what, to what to end point and all these other things. But if we're doing a direct sale, like we know is, is the future of food production and the consumer gets one bad experience, Amanda, they're not going to do it again. Well, see, that is a very educational opportunity then for the producer who probably for years and years has sold their animals direct to the sale barn and never actually knew what yep. that end product looked like. Now, if you're trying to sell it direct, you, you have the opportunity to earn a premium for your product and make a priceless connection with the consumer. And when you get that feedback from a customer that says, ah, oh, that steak wasn't what I was expecting. What do you do? Do you quit or do you say, wow, I need to look at my feed ration. I need to look at my genetics and I need to pay attention to that eating experience so that I can ultimately improve the beef that I'm raising. It's not just cows, it is beef. So I think it's beneficial on both ends it takes education on both ends, teaching a consumer how to buy a quarter of beef in bulk, and also teaching the rancher to say, this is how I get the best tenderness and the best flavor profile. I mean, we need to humble ourselves and say, we can constantly improve on our end as well. And I think that's part of it. All of that works 
as long as there is an ongoing discussion. But what I'm making the assumption, and my mother continues to tell me what happens when I assume, I'm making the assumption that if you get a bad eating experience, you just you just don't want to bring it up with that person, and the person who sold it to you never knows what you really thought. That may be true, and that's why I think, like any business model, you have to have touch points with your customers, sharing recipes throughout the year, teaching them how to cook a specific cut, like a short rib or a um, chuck roast, or you know some of these cuts that they may not be familiar with, and making sure that your customers know how to have that great beef eating experience. If your mom can take any cut of beef from the freezer, even if it's a dog turd, she can probably make it taste good. And her customers maybe aren't as as um, confident in the kitchen as you know our our generations of farm women who are, know their way around. The know their way around rendering lard. Yes, all of those things. But you know, Trent, yeah. I you know I'm high on beef. I'm high on pork. I I think there's great opportunities right now that doesn't come without challenges though. Uh, but I always tell folks. Losing money in agriculture is tough too, so pick your tough. But what I see coming around the pike is so much more sinister and that if certain people have their way, we won't even have the option to put pork or eggs or dairy or steak on our dinner plate because in their minds, the best way to solve climate change is to eliminate animal agriculture and to replace it with these fake meat substitutes that are coming in all different forms, not just from a plant or from a Petri dish grown from a cell of a beef animal. And there are ethical implications of this that are so huge and so heavy. And I think we need to unpack it in the in the next segment. I probably don't have enough time in this, this chunk to really dive into it, but you see ethical implications to the fake meat trend, or is it just another cool food choice? I'm actually, good with the food choice i have no problems with fake meat as an option for people to buy what i have a problem with is the outright blatant lies and the policy movements that try to say you have to do that to save the planet that's a blatant lie and what is most intriguing to me and this is probably our fault our fault in the educational is that the very same people that are gullible enough to move towards alternative protein substances that contain no animal products are the same people who didn't want processed foods. And if you look at what this alternative protein substance is, it is a list of ingredients longer than the constitution. And if you look at beef, there's one, beef. So how can the same people who are worried about processed foods now be lining up, by the way, nobody's lining up to buy alternative yeah, protein. they're on so the shelves. They are there. They are going broke. They continue to tell us that you have to buy them, and people aren't buying them. But the people who do have that, that inclination to want to support them are those people that were promoting non-processed foods to begin with. Yeah, I, I agree with everything you said, and I think that's my biggest beef, pun intended, with the fake meat movement. It isn't the product itself. It's I mean, I would liken it to Doritos. It's a it's a bag of whatever ingredients shoved together to try to be palatable. Um, but it is that outright statement that these companies make that say, we will replace the meat industry. We are the solution in sustainability and in animal welfare and all of these things. 
And I've told this story before, but I was at the Iowa Cattlemen's Association and they had a fake meat investor speak right before me, which was awesome. <laughs> but I, I outright asked him, how can you make these claims on environmental superiority and, and all of these things? And he said, we can't. We just say what the consumer wants to hear because we need to get a return on our investment. A wild statement to stay in, say in a room of cowboys. Uh, but the, I mean, he said the quiet part out loud. They, they are investors and they want to return on their investment and they know consumers are emotional spenders. We're going to tell them exactly what they want to hear. And so what part of the beef industry, it can't be the checkoff, what part of the beef industry is going to stand up and say, hey, we're going to fight this. If, if, is it a lawsuit? I mean, that's it's defamation what they're doing. Well, it comes back to we have too many people sitting back saying these people are stupid. They just need to understand instead of engaging in mature discussions about what it is that we're doing. And we're taking the God's creation and converting it into the most nutrient-dense food substance on the planet. In this case, we call it beef. Could be called Gary, too, I'm just saying. Amanda Recky, Trailers, we will take a break. We'll be back with more from I'm at the Pennsylvania Farm Show after this. Actually, Amanda brings up the topic of tender beef. There's one tender supply of beef. That is the certified Piedmontese system because tremendous selection and pressure, genetic selection and pressure on breeding has gone into raising a beef animal that is extremely tender and yet well-rounded, pun intended, in every aspect of profitable beef production. Control your own destiny. Get a $180 premium over market price. LoneCreekCattleCo.com to get full details about that. And uh, CertifiedPiedmontese.com for details about the products. Welcome back, everyone. Trent Loose into the second half roll route with Amanda Radke. I thought we were talking about cannibalism. Instead, we're talking about eating beef. Uh, can I whine for a moment? I don't think I can stop you, so go ahead. <laughs> I'm getting a little itchy because, uh, not because I was thinking about wool, but because uh, I've been here for an hour and a half nobody's open because the pennsylvania farm show actually officially starts tomorrow even though livestock shows are underway today so guess what i'm missing guess what i can't find in the last hour and a half your bacon and eggs i haven't had that but i, I can get by without that for another half hour or so coffee coffee <laughs> i got a big boy over here not to make me feel bad i'm running two hours without a oh, cup of coffee no. This is, How do you this live? is just, yeah, no, I mean, I just can't handle this. I got to do something. No wonder Nobody I'm just talking over you this morning. No one wants to bring you a coffee. They don't have any. Nobody's got it because nothing's oh. open yet. Well, you have to remedy that if you're going to be sorting pigs all day. I am going to remedy that here directly. So, soon Trent. As soon as I'm done with you. I, that without coffee, this might be a lot for you then, but yesterday I, <laughs> yesterday I tried to publish something on Facebook, which of course you're banned on. So you would have missed this, but Facebook would not let me post this, but it was about a website called the human meat project.com. And it's, it's deemed as conceptual art. Uh, but it talks about how we could save the planet by feeding the remains of dead people back to humanity 
in order to save the planet. And uh, I mean, it's gr grotesque at the very least, but I called it godless, anti-human, evil, revolting, and stinking of a sinister agenda that I want no part of. And this is where it gets into the ethics of this. So I had asked Facebook, you know, what they thought about it. And, and one gal said right away, well, it's, it's fake news. If you actually read, you would see it was conceptual art. And I said, yes, but isn't that funny how agendas are hidden in the form of risque art? There are genuinely people who feel this way. There are actually restaurants that celebrate cannibalism in Los Angeles, in Hollywood. And these, the thing that people miss is that in this whole climate change discussion, it's not about farting cows. We're missing the forest for the trees here. It is about the fact that they say, we need fewer people on this planet. We need, it's, it's about you and, you and me being farting animals that need to go. And the reason I've come to this conclusion is because I see all the conversations about how we're overpopulated, we need to reduce fertility rates, we need to lower the number of people on planet Earth because we're wasting all those natural resources. And as a Christian, I wholly reject that because we are divinely made in the image of God. God did not make a mistake in how many natural resources we have available to us. And any discussions about how we need to eliminate cows is just a short a short trip to we need to eliminate people. And that's my soapbox for the day. I'll allow you to comment before I just hijack the whole show. Um, well, I might be fine with you hijacking the show. I haven't had coffee. Uh, <laughs> so this week has evolved into a discussion about this every single day, including the Trent on the Loose, which aired yesterday with Dr. Troy Rowan, looking at genomics. And as we look at how they've identified 10,000 pairs of cattle genomics today, we can continue to produce more with less at an unprecedented rate. We've been doing it the old school way by measuring and evaluating and making breeding decisions. Now we can do it by shortening that up by two generations. And what that means is that we can same number of resources and multiply the number of people that are fed. That's the story that nobody really wants us to tell, is how we have the ability to produce the food for whatever the population of the planet is. Look, put it into context of what last week's discussion was the week before Christmas, and that was 40% of the food that we produce is not even eaten. So we're talking about a, a, a planet that can't sustain a population when in fact we waste half of the food that we could be feeding to the population. Some of that goes into animals as we we're talking about earlier, then is actually upcycled into, I, I found some great numbers from Texas A&M this week, Amanda, that speak to all of this. The amino acid profile, which corn is not a great protein source, but it does have 8% protein. The amino acid profile from corn itself will provide the uh, amino acids for three people. You feed that corn to cattle and you magnify three to 17 people with the same amount. That is about upcycling all of these food items. And to your point, that's the way the creation was intended. And our job is to manage the creation. And if we could keep policymakers out of the way, there, I have no doubt we could feed 20 million, 20 billion, I'm sorry, people on this planet with no issue whatsoever. It's a matter of not we're we're not being allowed to. And there's there's two pieces to that that you could extend upon is number one, 
we save the planet by ending global starvation. Because when people can feed themselves, they can take care of their family, they can take care of the resources they have around them. So solving global starvation is a huge thing that agriculture is the solution on. And number two, the cons there's different types of consumers. So when consumers hear we can do more and we can do better, they say, well, are we are we reducing quality and safety and nutritiousness? And so I say, we can do all of that and more. We can maintain that nutritional profile of that steak, but we can do it on a scale that we can feed the planet as well. And we need to also add that you and I are singularly focused on beef. And that's one component of what we're talking about to feed the world. But the same improvement, I mean, you just take a look, it all comes back to the health oil. The beef animal is gonna be better thanks to the health of the soil. The chicken, the chicken is gonna be better and have better nutrient profile in the egg if the soil health is better. Every bit of it comes back to what we're doing to soil health. We've made massive strides in soil health, particularly since the dirty 30s. We haven't tipped the iceberg on what can be done in terms of what we can produce with a healthier soil and build that organic matter and make those nutrients available because there's a huge difference between what the nutrient profile is and what nutrients are actually being utilized by the plant or the animal. You know, ironically, Trent, my first speech of 2023 is going to be at the South Dakota Soil Health Coalition Convention in Sioux Falls on January 24th. And I'm going to be talking about, shameless plug here, uh, my children's book, The Soil Quilt, which talks about how farmers and ranchers take care of the soil. Um, I would encourage everyone to check out that book if they are interested in that topic, um, because it, it starts from the dirty 30s and walks away the path how farmers discovered how we could better take care of our land by reducing erosion and and keeping cover on the soil and capturing that waterfall and making sure there's organic matter in the soil. It is that you are right. That is the beginning and the end and everything in the middle. It all comes back to the health of our soil and agriculture is a part of that. But while we both think we're right, we, we do need to make a concerted effort as the new year has now jumped up in front of us on how we get that message to the people that really need to know it. We, I mean, we just got to, instead of being willy nilly, maybe we got to devise a plan. It is a new year. If I'm going to make a statement that we need to make a plan, but here's my we, plan. We I have get the plan. message to the people. I have a plan. I've been doing it. That, that's the other thing on Twitter. Someone said to me, well, we're not making a difference because we're not getting outside of our circle. In every elementary school across the country, there is an agenda to teach the climate change narrative that, that demonizes agriculture and demonizes animal agriculture in particular. Every single person listening to this show right now is within a short distance of an elementary school. Go find a children's book that's pro-agriculture, that's accurate about food production, and go read a story to these kids. Because in very short time, they will be our next generation voters, they will be our next generation shoppers, and that message will not only transcend to the kids, it transcends to the teachers and to the parents and to the grandparents who have access to those stories. What I 100% agree with you on we can write all the scientific literature we want. The avenue to educate America today is through children's books. 
because writing at that at that level actually educates the parent because we try to explain things in terms of soil health go into ph and all these other things potash and they they don't even know what any of that means they don't even know what organic matter means to be honest you put it in the context of a children's book you'll start educating the masses because you're creating an experience and you're building a trusting relationship that parents grandparents teachers and kids can enjoy together and that farmer can be a part of it because he's coming into the classroom to spend some time with those kids and invest his his energy into that platform and make that experience for those kids to remember that's how we move the needle and it's it's not edgy it's not political it's not divisive it's just going into a school and reading a book it's as simple as that and, and it may even be simpler than that because i know you have the same thing happen i have happening because you're a big book writer i just got a couple you people purchase the book and then they pass it to somebody in their family and passing that book around is going to have a lingering effect throughout the entire generational aspect you know how many people listen to me speak at an egg meeting and they come up afterwards and they say, I'm buying this book to send to my grandkids in Minneapolis or my grandkids in New York City. They haven't been back to the farm in forever and I want them to know what farm life is like. So yeah, a story can last forever. It can last for generations. And I mean, obviously I sell books, but it, it, there's Farm Bureau, there's National Egg in the classroom. And it's, it's simple stuff, guys. It's, this doesn't have to be recreating the wheel, but we gotta get out and we gotta do it. There's a lot of people writing children's books today, and I think that they all just, we need to find a place to bring them all together. That's what we ought to do. Virtual together. Amanda Radke, Trent Luce, we will take a break. We've got one segment left. We're already there. Well, we didn't talk about cannibalism long, did we? And there are not restaurants in Los Angeles selling human parts. That's illegal. More after this. Let's take a moment now and talk about the Wall of Honor. We need to say thank you every chance we get the opportunity. And I would suggest that you join me and go to thewallofhonor.org to get full details about the veterans, the first responders, all of the people that have contributed so much to our freedom and our ability to even have this discussion about what's going on in the world of food production and the limiting of our freedoms, period. The Wall of Honor says thank you to those individuals who've been there since the beginning of this country coming on 250 years the wall of honor.org somebody that appreciates and shares my enthusiasm for the men and women of the uniform as well as the first responders robert and ashley farnham high plains cattle supply walk in there and just say thank you for your patriotic support of this country Also, mom said, don't point. Welcome back, Trent and Amanda. Amanda's in South Dakota. I'm in Pennsylvania, where it's probably going to be like 55 degrees today. I've been to Pennsylvania Farm Show when it snows, but it's not happening today. So there's that. You're well, circling us back. Well, I've had about three and a half feet of snow in the last three weeks. So I'm good on snow for a bit. You're not complaining about a drought anymore? Not at the moment. Until it blows to Kansas and melts in Kansas. Uh, yeah, probably. It's not gonna. Yeah, I'll hit, I'll send it your way. 
Okay, there are not restaurants selling body parts in Los Angeles. Why did you say that? They are glorifying cannibalism through the way that they make their edgy menus and how they how they portray. And that's the thing. Don't get lost in the weeds on this because Trent, as it stands today, there are companies you can literally swab your cheek cell, put it in a petri dish, and supposedly grow a meat from your own human flesh in order to feed your family. Okay, so that's one example. Another example, because people say, well, Amanda, why are you getting stuck in the weeds on all of this? Well, get this, in New York, you we have legalized human composting. In Canada, we are oh, youth oh, and oh, we oh, are- oh. New York, Wisconsin, and California. Three, thank you very much. States. Okay, in Canada, assisted suicides are now a thing. They're saying, oh, you're poor, you're sick, we'll, we'll help you, the state, the government will help to kill you. Uh, abortion has been glorified in this country. Assisted suicides, uh, swabbing our cheek cells to make meat. Uh, there's companies that are looking at using human feces to make food. Uh, we have such a, a shift in the narrative of advancements in food technology, advancements in um, if, you, if you're no longer worthwhile, you should just save the planet in order to, you know, better society. I sent you an article this week that said um, to save the planet, you should only procreate with people who are less than five foot two. So Trent, how tall is Kelly? Because I think you're anti-planet. Uh, that ship sailed, Amanda. <laughs> well, all of this has a theme, which is we are worthless breathers and that we should cease to exist or we should lower our footprint as much as we can, which ends in we shouldn't exist. I saw a thing on Twitter that said most catastrophes can be averted. Um, and the biggest one in climate change is our first world aging crisis where we could solve it by euthanizing the non-valuable. And how we do that is we keep people working longer through more through more vacations and sick leave. And then once they're no longer useful in society, we'll just euthanize. This is the vein. It, start, it starts with the cow farts, but let's not be naive. You play it out and it's anti-human, it's godless. And I apologize if I sound like an arrogant Christian. But no, you, you I, sound like you need to go out and clean a feed bowl. So you think I sound irrational? <laughs> I think that we are bombarded with all of this ridiculous information just to keep us on edge instead of staying grounded. I disagree. I think we are given this information in order for us to discern what is right and true in this world so that we don't get lost in the weeds on this stuff. I think as a Christian, when you see these headlines coming at you talking about cow farts and climate change and all of these things, you can have that discernment to say, these people hate divine human life. And as a Bible believing Christian, I value human life. I have dominion over the animals and I know that beef animal can provide nutrition to enhance human life. So I'm gonna stay right here and the world can get weirder and more grotesque and more dystopian as it goes. But I'm gonna stay solid right where I'm at, serving the master that I have, Jesus Christ. And when I can do that, then I can firmly and confidently say, this steak is good for humanity, good for the planet, and good for the animals too.
Uh, I mean, in reality, when you boil it all down, you cannot be in favor of cattle contributing to climate change and be a Christian. You can't Correct. be. You can't be both. Because that's what I'm getting at. The cow is the cow, By the way, it's the belching that they're worried about. But we have belching cows in the Bible. We have belching sheep in the Bible. The more forages they eat, the more they're going to belch. God didn't make something that was going to self-incriminate itself. Well, I guess that's not true. He made man, and man's doing all of the dirty work itself. But that's a whole different conscious level. Yeah. I mean, that's that's where that's where it's boiling down to. And so when we quit chasing all these headlines to get on the defense of trying to justify our existence, at the end of the day, I'm trying to shift perspectives to say, no, be proud of what you do in agriculture, own it, quit trying to negotiate with people who hate you and want you out of business and focus on providing solutions and serving customers and doing the right thing in an ethical way that doesn't bend to the culture, but that stands firm in what you believe in and then go celebrate it from the rooftops. And that's how we win. I'm tired of being on the defense. I'm going on the offense in 2023. We cannot. By the way, one reason there was a lot of jovial people on my planes and in Pennsylvania is apparently Penn State won the Rose Bowl. I hadn't heard. Pardon? I hadn't heard. Yeah, well... I hadn't either until I flew to Pennsylvania because there was a lot of Penn State people that were jubilant. But they didn't win the Rose Bowl because they were great on defense. They had to have some offense, too. So you have to be great on defense, but you also have to have some offense. And that's been the number one criticism in 23 years of me doing this is that we're always defending. Yep. So I would ask folks, because I think people get that impression they need to go viral on TikTok to make a difference. But it's the one-on-one interactions you have. And people don't care about what you do until they know where your heart is. So show people your heart and you will see the fruits of your labor. I'm here to tell you, for everybody that believes that social media is the answer of what we're talking about here today, you're out to lunch. Because social media is the interaction of your group only. You want to be critical of somebody who goes to speak at agricultural events? Then you can't go to social media because you only talk to the people who think like you think on any social media platform. I don't care what it is. Twitter, TikTok, Facebook, they're all the same. You do the one-on-one. You write the books and get into the classroom. And you get those people handing that off and doing and carrying the water to other people within their family and other neighbors that they know and they've been enlightened. Then you're going to start making a difference. Or let's let's spin in another direction. Everybody is watching what Congress is doing as they fail to vote in a new Speaker of the House. But in the, in the meantime, legislative sessions on a state level are starting right now. Have you talked to your elected officials in your state and, and coming from your, your area? Um, do you know the local school board, the county commissioners? You can make an impact in your own sphere of influence right in your 10-mile radius of where you live. Let's not discount that. See, I already told Andrew today on Across the Pond that everything happening in D.C. this week, like every other week, is a complete distraction by the deep state of where the real issues are. 
And as state legislators are all kicking up, and I gave a little promo that Taffy Howard is doing a great job coming to the forefront, explaining the division and the censorship that's happening, not in social media, but within GOP local entities. It's happening in every state in the Great Plains that I'm aware of. That's where the real challenge and restriction of liberty is coming. And no media outlets are talking about that. That's where we need to really focus and say your freedoms are best exhibited at the local level. And there is more cover up deep state manipulation happening at the local level within the political parties than anything happening in Washington, D.C. You need to engage right there to make a difference. I very much agree. And I saw so many posts recapping the end of the year of 2022, talking about how it's been a tough year and people are really run down. And I think that's part of the agenda is demoralizing all of us so that we feel defeated, so that we feel like there's nothing we can do. And I myself have struggled with that too, feeling powerless to see so much of this decay happening in our country and feeling like I can't stop it and I can't change the trajectory of agriculture or our nation or our politics. But if you bring it closer to home and say, I can handle, I can take care of things in my own house, my family, my marriage, my work and my community, my schools, my county commissions, I can get involved in these things. You can make an impact. You control what you can control and your year is gonna be so much better. Hey, how about in the last two minutes you give us a little optimism for <laughs> before we say bye, I good luck that. to you. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the thing. Re don't quit letting the mainstream narrative steal your joy. Quit letting the talking heads coming out of Washington DC who are telling you what to freak out about choose what you freak out about today. Instead, look right in front of you, see what you can take control of and be, drive the ship of your own life. That's how we keep the, the liberty bell ringing in this country, is by every family saying, I'm not following this narrative, whether it's political, climate change, animal welfare, anti-food, anti-human, I'm Eat not going with, Yeah, I'm not going with you there. Instead, I'm gonna take care of things at home to make sure my house is in order, and there's gonna be a ripple effect when I do that. Uh, for the record, I'm not anti using a dead person for compost. Okay. I, I want my body, forget about my soul, I want my body also to have a value in continuing the cycle of life, rotting in a little old box isn't going to do it for me, just saying. Fair enough. I know you have told your daughters just to drag you out behind the trees with the tractor. Let That's the a true story. Yeah. Fair That'll enough. do it. We have successfully journeyed down the road, approaching every issue that nobody ever wanted to talk about before in one broadcast. Amanda Wright, the Trumpers, both of us reminding you that all roads do lead to a rural route. And how about we finish with this because I had lunch yesterday with Karen Sage. And how fitting for us to be in the state of Pennsylvania today and talk about oil, talk about fuel. In this case, we're going to talk about lignite energy because it continues to provide hot showers. I can say electricity, I can say a lot of things, but I just want you to have the imagination, have the thought that you can't take a hot shower. I don't mean not like this week, like ever, if you don't have a reliable energy supply. Our forefathers, they got a hot bath once in a while. Do you know what that took? Because they didn't have electricity. 
We can't lose electricity. We can't lose the natural energy supply that we have called lignite coal. Get details about the people. Watch the videos of the people behind the scenes that make coal happen. Life powered by coal at lignite.com.